Good evening and welcome to the locker room here on Indie Live Radio. We're here every Friday night. Going to get you can comment on the show. Um, you can do that by um, emailing us lockerroom live at gmail.com. Uh, number one for sport. And we've got a busy show as always. And who who is a busy boy? Busy boy then? Hey? It's Matthew. Hi, Matthew. I don't know if who is a Billy boy, did you just say? I, I don't know. <laughs> That's what I heard. Uh, oh, God. What a start to the show, Michael. Yeah, well, how, how, can, how can you recover from that? Well, I can safely say I've never been called a Billy boy before. So, first time, Brent, everything. <laughs> um, so, how's your week been? Okay, all right. Uh, I mean, I've got a bit of a sore throat today, so if my voice starts to go, that's why. Uh, because as you can imagine, it'll be hard to believe, I know, for most people. But I spend my week chatting to people, so um, my voice is starting to go. I think I'm finally, it's finally packing in. Well, uh, so if, if, if I say Matthew, Matthew, and I know that you're not able to speak because your voice is went. Hello, hello, you discovered it? Right. <laughs> so, um, busy show as always, but a bit of sad news because kick off the show this week, Ian's at John passing, uh, Matthew, I think, it, I think it was Monday or Tuesday, the early part of the week. Yeah, I'm losing track. It was the 1st of March. Was that Monday? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I always, you know, Ian St. John was, or was one of those players that you just talk about. I think his name was... John wasn't that his first name was even though he was called Ian St John um, and I, I suppose we have to bring him up because you know he's from you know Motherwell so I always like talking about famous players and managers from Lanarkshire um, you know he was a Scottish player he played uh, most famously with Liverpool um, throughout most of the 1960s I think he started his career at Motherwell before moving on to Liverpool he was signed by Bill Shankly in 1961 and he became a key member of the Liverpool team that uh, emerged from, would you believe, all the way back then, they emerged from the second tier of English football, uh, eventually to win uh, the championship, or the, the what is now the Premiership, but Division 1 at the time, and to win the FA Cup. In fact, I think he scored the winner in the 1965 Cup final to really you know, cement himself as one of the the best players in England at the time, as a lot of Scottish players were down there. He also played for Scotland. I think he scored nine times for Scotland uh, before hanging up his books. I'm not sure how many caps he had, but I know he scored nine goals uh, before eventually becoming a manager. He went on to manage uh, Motherwell, obviously his hometown side. Uh, and he then went on to be a media pundit as well. He was quite famous for, for his media punditry. Until sadly, I think it was the early part of 2000, 2010s, um, 2013, 2014, he sadly, um, you know, he had he underwent surgery for, for bladder cancer. I think he had his bladder removed. Um, but unfortunately, uh, he passed away on the 1st of March in Liverpool. Um, and it's, it's sad to see one of Lanarkshire's and Motherwell's famous sons uh, passing away and you know we can only pass on our condolences to his friends and family at the time but he definitely lived a, a full life um, and he'll never be forgotten in Lanarkshire uh, and he won't be forgotten in Liverpool either for his for his great career down there. And I saw the a bit of the Liverpool game last night when they played Chelsea Matthew and they had a minute silence before the game as well so, so that was uh, good to see but I cannot... I, 
I, I don't remember him playing football, but I can remember him on a Saturday when, was it Saints and Greavesy, when, when they were talking about football, and uh, that that was good to see, I can um, like magaz- magazine uh, programme looking at football. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, obviously it was a, his playing career was a bit before my time, yeah. um, so I only remember him really through videos or um, you know through footage from maybe Liverpool TV from watching that or whatever. So I kind of remember him more with Jimmy Greaves, and I remember him doing his football punditry work, and he always was quite sensible. Um, he always, you know, was honest in his opinions, whether it was about Liverpool or anyone else, um, and obviously he was always famous around Motherwell. Um, I think he was manager of Motherwell for a while. If I think he only had one season in charge and they finished ninth. Um, but he obviously is well remembered in Motherwell and Lanarkshire generally. And he obviously is remembered with Scotland as well. In, in 2008, he was inducted into the Scottish Football Hall of Fame um, who have some big, big named players in there as well. So he's one of Scotland's best of all time. He's probably one of the best that always be remembered in Liverpool as well. Um and yeah, it's it's sad to see him passing, and and like I said, he, he he lived a full life, but it's always sad to see one of the game's greats pass away, um, and like I said, one of Motherwell's Motherwell and Lancaster's greats, more importantly. Yeah, so so that was Ian St John there. So again, can go can donances his family and, and friends and all was saucy. It was uh, Ian St John last week. The I think it's today it's the anniversary of Fergus McCann taking over at Celtic Park, Matthew. Yeah, I mean, there was a few anniversaries this week and this was one of them and it, it kind of resonated with me just because obviously, you know, Celtic are just about to lose a 10 in a row bid and that, that all really started, I think, with Fergus McCann. Obviously, he turned 80, was it last week as well? And this is the anniversary of him saving Celtic really well you know we can all talk about what happened to Rangers and and their liquidation and coming back as a as a as a new entity whether it's a new club or not it's a different argument but they came back as a as a different entity Fergus McCann you know this time back in 1994 really did save Celtic um he's he's a father of modern day Celtic I, I think everything that came after him um is thanks really to him and that's why I think it was important to bring up this anniversary because he 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 took Celtic from demise really from the brink of demise the bank were just about to close Celtic and you know within hours of that to go he came in with Brian Dempsey another man from from Lanarkshire it's all these Lanarkshire connections today um he came in with Brian Dempsey and really saved the club and really, he's famous for for a few things. I mean, if we look back at his reign, I mean, he, he was he wasn't the most flamboyant of characters as such. He knew he knew what he wanted, um, and he would walk over people to get it, all in the name of really making Celtic club who, who he thought or where he thought they should be. And he thought Celtic should be one of the top teams in Scotland, if not Europe. I mean, he had grand plans for Celtic. And like I said, he was a man that saved Celtic. He was he was the father of modern day Celtic. He led. The a mem- he was a he was a lead member of the group called the Rebels. Do you remember mm. uh, that night when <laughs> the Celtic takeover t- happened and uh, Brian Dempsey came out with that fam- famous quote on the steps of of Celtic Park? Yeah, 
he was also famous for wearing a bonnet, if you remember correctly. <laughs> yes. Um, you know, and I think that's how you'll be remembered, him sitting there with his bonnet on at a freeze in Celtic Park. He was also the one who rebuilt Celtic Park. I mean, I don't know if you remember the old Celtic Park, but, you know, it was an old decaying stadium and Celtic were on the brink of moving to Canvas Lang at one point. Uh, before Fergus McCann took over, but when Fergus McCann took over, the the Canvas Lang Stadium was shelved, rightly so, and he said that Celtic Park was going to be built into one of the grand the grandest stadiums in in Scotland, if not the world. And look at Celtic Park today. You know, it's it's mm. a colossal stadium with some of the best um, facilities in world football. And I mean, don't forget that was uh, the that was where they'd done the. Uh... Commonwealth Games opening ceremony, Matthew, when the Commonwealth Games came, came, came to Glasgow in uh, 2012. That's, that's right. I mean, they didn't have to do that much. <laughs> and they didn't have to do that much work to it because Celtic Park was already one of the best stadiums in the world. And you can see it today. You know, it's not it's not aged badly. It's still there. It's still looking good. And it is one of the best stadiums in Europe. Uh, I mean, he... I mean, not only did he re- re- revolutionise Celtic Park, he revolutionised the business structure of the club and the financial ethos of the club. So, I mean, I know it annoys fans today that maybe Celtic don't spend as big as they should, but, you know, he put a structure in place to make sure that no matter what happened, Celtic would never end up in the mess that they ended up in the early 90s. Um, and, you know, when he left, you know, I think he left with the, he left he left with a profit, would you believe? The amount of money he put into Celtic Park to save them, he actually left with a profit. And who, who, what other owner of a club can put that amount of millions in there to revolutionise the stadium, revolutionise the playing staff, revolutionise the whole business foundations of Celtic and still leave with a profit? So... Uh, I think I, I think he left with the best wishes of the fans when he eventually did leave, and you know he was he was praised for that and thanked for that really by raising the league winners flag in August two thousand and fourteen to mark the start of the twentieth anniversary at the time since his takeover in nineteen ninety four, and he was warmly received then. Uh, so you know, I think the only people who didn't really like Fergus McCann were probably some of the players um, that maybe weren't given the contracts that they thought they should get. I, I think George Cadet uh, was one of the players that came to mind who said that Fergus McCann uh, made them too stressed to return to Celtic Park. But, um, but was it was it not one of the seasons as well, Matthew, that he came out to raise a flag and the most of the fans, or maybe a handful of fans. But we're booing him. Yeah, well, I think I think he was warmly received by most. Yeah. I think some people boo. I mean, some people booed Henrik Larsson when he came back to Celtic Park with Barcelona, didn't they as well? So, and they scored, yeah. And he's yeah. So it showed you how much that affected him that day. I mean, I, I think I think uh, Fergus McCann's obviously going to have some people who aren't going to maybe be as as kind to him as pos- as maybe he should be because of the, like I said, the Celtic were still maybe not investing as much in the playing staff as they should have been. But when you look back, you know, really he was the saviour of Celtic Park and I don't think that can ever really be taken away from him because without Fergus McCann, let's be honest, there would have been no Celtic. No Celtic, yeah. Um, and I think he should be thanked for that. Uh, and I think it's important to remember this anniversary. I think uh, a couple of seasons ago, Matthew, when everybody was allowed to get Celtic Park, I'm sure he came back uh, for the, uh, you know, like the half-time draw and all that. So it, it was nice to see him 
uh, back at Silky Park, you know, and I wonder what he thinks of Silky Park now, uh, you know, like looking back. Yeah, I mean, well, when you think about it, I mean, like I said, he kind of laid the foundation for everything that, that is now. So him, I think him coming back, he will be quite proud to see, obviously, the success on the field uh, has been him being justified in his strategy back then. I think, obviously, we all saw with Rangers what could happen if the strategy is maybe to spend more than you actually have, what can happen. And I think Fergus McCann probably is quite proud of that. But, I mean, it's not really changed a lot since his day when he left. I mean, uh, he, I mean, he had a five-year plan. Uh, the club was reconstructed as a PLC at the time. So that PLC remains in place today. Um, and like I said, the share issue, I mean, he developed the initial share issues in the club with, you know, I think 10,000 people taking up the offer of investing in Celtic Park at the time. There has been further share investments and each one that Celtic have had have been fully subscribed. So I think that, I think that the club that Fergus McCann had in mind when he started this journey back in March 1994 um, is exactly where he thought it would be uh, at the best case scenario and I think he should be really proud uh, and taking Celtic like I said from a club on the brink of liquidation to mm. now being one of the most successful in Europe both on and off the pitch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so well done for for saving one of Scotland's big, big two in, in Scotland, um, and as well. And I don't think he'll ever um, be forgotten on the eyes of maybe Scottish football, but on the eyes of all, all the Celtic fans as well. So they, yeah. I so mean, do I mean the thing is the next thing would be maybe not a statue as such, but mm. really we, sh- we should all be thinking about, or at Celtic Park, we should all be thinking about how they honour his memory at this point, because like I said, given everything that's happened at Rangers, his philosophy, give or take, we can argue about how things have been after he's left with Peter Lawwell and things like that, but the, the end result really is that Celtic are here still, and they mm. are very successful. Maybe Celtic naming a stand after Fergus McCann, uh, wouldn't be too out of miss just because I mean I know the Lisbon Lions are rightly so named uh, at the stadium you know whether it's Jockstein or the Lisbon Lions stand or whatnot you know there's statues outside uh, commemorating uh, that as well you obviously commemorate Brother Wilfred for creating Celtic I think it's only right that Fergus McCann's also honoured in some way uh, given that he saved the club in 1994. And, and I mean, you, you don't know, Matthew, you, they might have dug something but because of uh, COVID, they, they can't do anything. So, I mean, they, they might have had like, an event up at Circuit Park or and Vicky come back because it's anniversary, but you, you, just, uh, you just don't know if, if Circuit were going to do anything. Um, but yeah, well, well done to Fergus and and all that. Um, so um, we we saw the story at the beginning of the week, Matthew, and it's um, it's not over here in Scotland; it's over in Ireland. About um, a, a guy, um, a, a, I don't know if he's a jockey or what. About, um, I think he sat. He, he was sitting on a dead horse. Or something. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I mean, it's it's one of these stories that did happen in Ireland, but it relates to Britain because obviously a lot of go- this Gordon Elliott's horses do run in British festivals, um, and in Scottish racetracks too. Um, incidentally, but obviously this new this story is um is changing. I mean, obviously his hearing. Uh, started this morning at nine thirty, so uh, he had a hearing with the IHRB 
uh, IHRB's referral committee, um, and it started at nine thirty. With the he's a trainer, and really he's awaiting his fate as to what will happen to him, given that a picture emerged to him uh, in social media. I think it was sitting on a dead horse at the weekend last weekend. It was very distasteful. I mean, I luckily enough hadn't seen the pictures until later on uh, in the week, and when you see it, you know, it isn't the most considering he's a, a trainer, but obviously he has the animal's welfare um, at heart as well while he's training them. It's very distasteful having somebody who supposedly cares about horses mm. sitting yeah, half sort of smiling on a dead horse. Mm. Um, and I think it has a knock-on effect because obviously it's very distasteful. He's lost uh, advertising because of it. He's um, a lot of people who maybe um, employed him to train the horses uh, that other people owned have pulled their horses out. Elliot is currently barred from saddling runners in Britain by the BHA, uh, and obviously there's a there's another panel a referral this morning um, or earlier on this morning about uh, his his runners in Ireland. So Britain have already made a move on him. Ireland could be doing similar. It's a shame because obviously we're coming up to Chel- the Cheltenham Festival in a few weeks' time, couple of weeks' time. I think it starts on March the 16th, the day before St. Patrick's Day. It's always one of the biggest events in the horse racing calendar. And, you know, the horses that maybe Gordon Elliott had in that event are now unlikely to run at the Cheltenham Festival. And maybe some other horses who were in his yard that were owned by other people may not also be able to run as well. So it's a big story. It'll have a knock-on effect to the Cheltenham Festival and it may well have a knock-on effect further on in the year and ultimately to Gordon Elliott's career as a as a trainer is at serious risk. And it'll be a shame because he's been very successful. He's been successful at Cheltenham. He's been successful really all over Britain. He's one of the big names in, in the training circuit. Um, but that that picture was very distasteful, and it makes you wonder about uh, the horse's welfare under his protection and what's going on at his uh, county Meath base. Um, <clears throat> I'm I'm just thinking about all the stories you tell down the years, Matthew, about uh, cruelty to animals and all that, you know. And I think um, not not for this particular program, but again, I think I think the there's going to be a case of speaking about that again. And I don't know why that, that um, the he was up in court this morning because I think they should have run out of, of court because if, if anybody got again the sense, he would, get, he would maybe be jailed um, right away without going to court because that's, uh, yeah, I mean, and I've never heard of that. I mean, that sounds disgusting as well, you know. Yeah, I mean, it's an awful picture. I mean, when you look at it, it just it's not a nice image to view. No. I don't know what he's doing, putting it on social media or, or taking the picture in the first place. Obviously, it begs the question as to, the, like I said, the welfare of the animals that he, he's currently training. But also, like when you think about, you know, hunters have had pictures taken with dead animals and stuff. Mm. And obviously, they're obviously going out and, to hunt. And, but... and, and, and I mean, I'd, what were they trying to achieve? Well, that's what I mean. I mean, I know it's distasteful hunters going out and, you know, taking pictures with their catch as such, and it's very distasteful then, but this is even more distasteful and very worrying because mm. he's not 
he I mean he's not pretending to hunt animals or whatever he's meant to be caring for these animals as well as training them for events he's supposed to be looking after them and making sure that they're safe and well and here's that that same guy having a picture taken with a dead horse not looking too bothered and kind of looking not happy about it but not sad in any way I just don't know what was going through his head and like I said my worry would be what's actually going on in County Meath at his training events. I think that's one of the most horrible stories I've I've heard this year but all, of all my life as well. I've never heard of anything like that and obviously I don't want to hear about anything like that again because it's just yeah yeah. Um I think I think we'll move on from that still there. Um yeah so so on to the football this week Matthew and um the Scottish Cup is Maybe coming back. Well, it's good they come back. Yeah, I mean, thank goodness it's uh, coming back. Um, I mean, we all kind of thought, I mean, to be fair, I kind of thought the Scottish Cup wasn't going to come back. Um, I kind of thought the lower leagues might not come back as well. But, you know, luckily enough, I think um, it will return on Tuesday, the 23rd of March, with the 12 outstanding second round ties. Um taking place and I think the rescheduled final is due to take place on the 22nd of May so yep. it doesn't leave a lot of time when you think about it because the Scottish Cup was already having to come forward because the Euro Championships were going to take place mm. um, now the 22nd of May is obviously the date that has to happen um, it's it's to been pushed back two weeks but it can't be pushed back any later than that because maybe if Scotland hadn't qualified for Euro 2020 but because they have as well I think the 22nd is the latest that will have to be done. So there's going to be a lot, I think, from this point, if they are successful in the tournament or if a club is, um, there is going to be a lot of fixtures. You will be playing the weekends. Uh, you will be playing the weekdays to try and get the cup, the cup fixtures in and the post-split uh, fixtures in, in the top flight. So you, there will be a lot of fixtures for the teams who are in it. If you're a lower league team, I know it might not happen, but if you're a league one or two team in it as well, that's a lot of fixtures because not only are you then trying to catch up and complete your league one and two season, but the Scottish Cup's still in there. So, you know, it's good to have it back. You know, Celtic are obviously going to come back into it um, as as holders. Uh, they'll play, I think it's Falkirk or Broth in the next round on the 23rd of March. Um, then if, you, if we get through... The, the second round, the, th the third round, sorry, is the 3rd of April. So that's when Celtic will play the winners of the last round and all the other clubs in the second round. The last 16 is on Saturday, the 17th of April. The quarterfinals is the week after on the weekend of Saturday, the 24th of April. The semifinals are on the weekend of Saturday, the 8th of May. And the final itself, I think actually the semi-finals are booked in on the weekend that the cup final originally was. And the cup final itself is now rescheduled for Saturday the 22nd of May. So there's a lot of fixtures to get through in the Scottish Cup. There's a lot of fixtures to get through in the league. So when this starts um, after, well, for, possibly from the Celtic Rangers weekend uh, onwards, there'll be a lot of fixtures for the clubs who are successful in the Scottish Cup to get through. But you know, it is what it is. Now, when I know that we were speaking about, about the Jeski game and came out, Matthew, but I've just thought of something about if Rangers actually progress in the, the Europa Cup, but I think um, hopefully they'll, they'll do for Scottish football. That's going to be a nightmare for the SFA um, to 
um, for in the Scottish Cup games because as well as, as well, the um, Rangers games in the Scottish Cup, they've got um, league games as well. Now, I presume that most of the Scottish Cup games will be during the week, so it'll be what Wednesday, Saturday, Wednesday, Saturday, Wednesday, Saturday. But if, if Rangers are playing playing in Europe, they've got to contend with the European games on the first night, the league games on a Sunday. But where where are they going to put the Scottish Cup games? Yeah, and, and a similar situation happened to this before because, you know, the last time when Rangers got to the, I think it was the UEFA Cup final, it was called back then, um, rather than the Europa League. I'm getting all these date, things confused, but when they got to the, when they went through on the UEFA Cup run before, um, there was a lot of fixtures to be played. There, there was a lot of league fixtures to be played and Scottish football had the ability to push back that date slightly. So I don't know if you remember, but the league calendar finished on a weekday. I think it was a Thursday, possibly. Mm. Uh, Rangers played up at Aberdeen and Celtic played against uh, United. Yeah. Um, so that's happened before. But the difference is, at the end of that season, there wasn't a European Championships that Scotland mm. were involved in, uh, or a World Cup that Scotland was involved in. Uh, so Scotland had a, the Scottish League had a lot of ability to move the league forward or back a little bit to allow Rangers to complete the league season and to complete their European season on top of that. This year, there's no such luck because like I say, you know, if, if the finals on the 22nd of May, the Euro Championships are only maybe three weeks after that starting. Obviously, the Scotland squad before that will be joining up to uh, for their training camps and stuff like that. There's no room for movability really in this that the 22nd of May will be the end of this season and that'll be it um so yeah you're right I, I just can't see if Rangers progress in the Europa League there is going to be some major fixture headaches uh for Scottish football coming up and um and when you were talking about the Euros Matthew um this news out today that uh, Glasgow and Dubai um is at risk of Hogan the European Championships and, and and all that. So, I mean, if they there will be fans getting back into the um, grounds to see the European Championships, they'll be very disappointed about um, if the tournaments is not happening. Um, well, the, the tournaments still happening, but it might not. The games might not take place in Silk, um So the uh, uh, Glasgow and Dubai. So you've got Dubai on the brain now and you're making me think about Dubai because uh, we were talking about it earlier. Um, about the whole, when we were talking oh, about... Oh, no, the so the, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> See, you've got so, Dubai on the brain. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't, I, yeah, I guess, <laughs> I guess I actually saw the letter D and I thought of Dubai. <laughs> yeah, no, <Aye>. Dublin. <laughs> <laughs> well, if, if the Scottish Championship, if the Euro if the Euro 2020s were happening in Dubai, I know just the club who can sort them out on trips and where to stay <laughs> and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> and beside a nice swimming pool, <laughs> have a few beers. I, I know just the people who'll be able to sort the SFA out. Yeah, um, <laughs> I mean, as a, I mean, yeah, Glasgow, I'm about to say Dubai as well. Glasgow and Dublin, um, I mean, are at great risk of, of not staging the championship. I mean, there's less than 100 days until the Euro Championships are about to start. Um, I mean, from what I understand, UEFA want all of the countries staging matches to submit plans 
uh, to make sure that there is a return of fans and they want this report in by the 7th of April. So, you know, organisers and governments are having to try and come up with a plan or some as much concrete information as they can by the 7th of April. But the Scottish and Irish governments um, are yet to be able to provide assurances as to whether fans will be allowed back by June. Um, I think UEFA are pushing it, but obviously um, the Irish government and the Scottish government are not wanting to make assurances because we're still very unsure as as to the COVID situation, obviously. Um, now, Hamden and the uh, Aviva Stadium were due to hold four games, of which, you know, Scotland were due to play two games at Hamden um, in that championship. But according to um, somebody in UEFA, I think the position of Dublin and Glasgow is actually in real threat uh, because uh, the, the governments of Ireland and Scotland are taking a tighter approach to COVID than maybe, for example, London is. So while I think Gene Freeman came out, the health secretary came out and said that the Euros was a big deal for Scotland, and rightly so, um, you know, she wants to make sure that the take-up of vaccines is at a high level and that cases are falling and falling to a great extent before they'll allow fans to come into Hamden um, full stop. Um, I just don't see... I mean, it's understood, I think, that the government, Scottish government will make a decision on this in the next few days but given what we know about how Scotland, the Scottish government have handled COVID and to be fair they've handled it well they've handled it correctly and I have no issue with how the Scottish government has handled it I think because of that I think it'll be hard for UEFA to uh, come up with any concrete ideas and it wouldn't surprise me if UEFA ultimately removed these games from the FAI and the SFA and maybe moved them to, to England because obviously the, the English government um, or the Westminster government are a bit more, I don't want to say blasé, but they're, they're a lot more forward than where they think England is and are therefore willing to have fans into stadiums a lot earlier. And therefore it would make sense at this stage that if Boris Johnson feels it, uh, it's safe enough um, to have 10,000 people minimum inside Wembley, from grounds from mid-May onwards, then it makes sense that the FA is given are given these tournaments because um, things do look bleak at the moment. I think UEFA need 30 to 35% of stadium capacity to turn a profit. Like I said, I think England, I mean, even Germany are looking at it. Scotland and Ireland aren't the only countries. I think even Munich, the German government are looking into it as well. I think the English, the Westminster Parliament are the only ones that are willing to give assurances whether it's reckless or not give assurances that there'll be a minimum 10,000 people in these grounds and therefore if that's what they think then maybe they should be given the run of this tournament to make sure UEFA uh, are able to turn a profit at this event but to be to be honest with me this is about public safety and if the Scottish government don't think it's safe to have crowds in there then I'm quite happy for it to go somewhere else to be perfectly honest Yeah I mean the UEFA should look further than you know, it's not about money, it's about putting people's lives at risk as well. And also, um, <clears throat> I'm just imagining open up, opening up the emails at the end of the show and say, oh, I never knew Dubai was in Europe, but there you go. <laughs> well, uh, Israel's not in Europe. Yeah, well, Israel yeah. are still in, in tournaments, so go figure. So yeah. maybe your Dubai thing's not as far off as... Yeah. <laughs> I, I suppose it's like it's in... 
why as a school you're in a Eurovision Song Conquest, but there you go, that's a, yeah, that, that is a weird one, a school you're in a, but anyway, sorry, I'm, I'm getting off track a wee bit here, I better, <laughs> I better get back on, but, um, uh, and so, and also, um, obviously, there'll be more news coming about that in the next couple of weeks. I think they've got a deadline, uh, Matthew, of a date in uh, the April sometime. I think it's um, April the seventh. So we'll know in a few weeks if it's if it's coming or not, and, and yeah, and all that. I mean, I, mean, I just can't see the Scottish government, given what we know mm. as to how they've operated, and they've been very sure to be safe and put people's lives first over any yeah. financial input or whatever and I think because of that I just can't see Scotland going from a very safe approach to okay now we're going to let thousands of people conjugate in stadiums I, mm. I just can't see how it'll go from one extreme to the other within a month the, the report's due in a month like you said the 7th of April I just can't see how they make that leap of faith all of a sudden from one no. thing to the other um, yeah. I can understand how Westminster come to those conclusions not wanting to get political because that's the way they've been all through the Covid crisis but the Scottish government have been very clear all the way along as to where they're at and it would be a very big jump to go from lockdown to stadiums being a quarter or two, a third full all of a sudden um, in Scotland. So I, I do fear for, for the, Hamden, the Hamden games. And it's the same in Ireland, you know, I live here obviously at the moment and, you know, Dublin, Dublin have been very clear about where they go. And again, it's a very big leap of faith from lockdown in April to all of a sudden the Viva Stadium being um, a quarter or half full. I just don't see yeah. it. So yeah, um, people's life should be first. Can this is when sport should become? I know, I know, we love sport, but uh, this is when sport should become second place, and people's lives is at, at stake as well. Um, back here in Scotland, Matthew, more news this week about League One and Two is coming back. Yeah, I mean it's. <laughs> It's, it was obviously given the approval to restart. I mean, Leagues 1 and 2 were waiting for a long time for Scottish government approval. And I think last week it got a bit tetchy between the, the Scottish League and the Scottish government because, you know, the Scottish League were saying that they were waiting on government, government approval to start again. Now, finally, it's been given and the season has been approved from the 20th of March. But now that that approval has been given, the argument is how will that that form takes so the SPFL board currently remains unconvinced that a 22 game season is realistic so even though now we have a 20th of March start date uh, the board really is now going to have to come up with along with the clubs we'll have to come up with an idea as to how that will be played now you know some clubs have played only eight or nine games of their planned 27 matches so there are, if they are to play a full season, some of them have about, like I said, 21, 22 games left. That's probably unrealistic, especially if, God, God forbid, if one or two of them get through to the Scottish Cup, then they'll be trying to play 20-odd games on top of the Scottish Cup. <laughs> so um, that is a lot of fixtures to complete. So some of the clubs are wanting to reach um, approval maybe for an 18-games uh, calendar season, then maybe splitting it up. Um, doing a split one so there's only a few games left so you know some of them want a lesser season some of them want a 22 match season some of them want to complete the whole season that they've had planned um, so 
that's going to obviously create problems in regards to how it will be finishing because I think right now um, you're looking at the season finishing, well, the 22nd of May is the very latest if one of them get to the Scottish Cup final. So it's a lot of matches to fit in um, in a very short period of time. On top of the fact that a lot of these players are part-time, they'll be testing, uh, they also have jobs to contend with. So um, fitting in games during midweek might not be possible because of the part-time nature of the club. club. So I just can't see how this is going to finish. I mean, yeah, at least one of the League One or two clubs will get to the fourth round of the Scottish Cup. Yeah, players are working during the week, so you might not be able to play it during the week. I just can't see any other end to this than, you know, a very curtailed end to League One and Two because there's no way they're going to be able to finish this season uh, without going into June, July. Um, it's just not possible. So I think to pull the season back and try to complete uh, a season season that's a lot less than was originally planned is the only way to go. Um, obviously, the starting point is to get players back and I think they'll be looking to get players back training, get them as prepared as possible for the season. Um, and like I said, I think... The worst case scenario for these players coming back, well, they will have to play a three-game-a-week calendar. Yeah. But, yeah, the diff- difficulties are of that is like what I've just said, you know, how do you fit that in with Scottish Cup commitments? And on top of that, how do you fit that in? Because a lot of players are part-time and working. It's going to be very, very, very difficult. Yeah, I mean, I remember years and years ago, um, I went to see my local junior team and um, and most of their game were cancelled and... Um, you're asking guys to come come back from work, go out to play football, but most of the games were uh, play. Uh, they were playing three games a week, so you're talking about you know Monday, Wednesday, Saturday, or first or Monday, Thursday, Saturday. You know, and it's a lot. Of, it's a lot for these part-time guys, especially if. Um, that they're working part time and they've come back and that's the last thing you want to do is run about for ninety minutes and then get up the next day for work. Yeah, I mean we have to be honest. I mean, the financial implications are: do people take time off work? Do they take holidays uh, to play these fixtures while they're on? I would probably suggest not because the COVID situation has meant that a lot of people have lost their income or the incomes that they had before. So that's going to be quite difficult. Another thing is that even while they're working. Um, a lot of these players won't have had their vaccine yet. So there's a very high chance that a lot some games will be affected because players will be testing positive for COVID because of the situation. Um, and then obviously the real, the real situation is then what do you do on the basis of people maybe having to work on things? I think the only outcome is to try and first and foremost get them back training. But I think the, the only real outcome is that the the seasons will have to be shortened because it's the only way to get any sort of remnants of a season completed is to limit it because if you're still looking at completing these seasons as planned it's just not going to happen yeah okay um let's look at the big league um at the weekend because at the salon um run through run through the games at the weekend after uh Aberdeen come out Livingston um, Rangers against Mullen. Um, Ross County is at home to Kamarok. Uh, St. Uh, St. Johnson, uh, La, La League Cup winners um, against Hibs. And in the first division, they should have been a game tonight, Matthew, but the game's off. I would look forward to watching the game as well. 
a local derby between uh, Rafalwas and Dunfermline um, because of the the some players and the Rafalwas team has got the coronavirus, so that the game has been off for that one. But the games tomorrow in the Championship, uh, Aroa against Inverness, Abloff against Queen of the South, Hearts against Gundee, the, uh, and Morton against Ayr as well. So that's the games this weekend. Yeah, I mean, Dunfermline, strange enough, their game, obviously tonight's called off, but their game now on Tuesday against Dundee has also been called off. Um, mm. after a positive COVID test too. So yeah. there's some real problems in Fife in regards to this. Obviously, the big derby we were looking forward to tonight, but now the game against Dundee on Tuesday is called off after COVID. And this shows you, you know, this is affecting teams that maybe have full-time players in it. Um, and Dunfermline now have had to postpone two games. Can you imagine if if this is League One or two? Oh, but, but and I've, I've just... Um... Yeah, I know. I know. It's, um, I mean, yeah, um, it's going to be a big backlog of the season, but this rate we'll be playing in Christmas Day. <laughs> but there are, I mean, you're right, there are some big games uh, in the league that you've rounded off. And I think, you know, some of the ones we were talking about before that we're looking forward to, obviously Rangers-St Mirren has a very big implication because, you know, St Mirren obviously are, are looking to cement their place in top six. They are, you know, four points ahead of Dundee United. Um, any sort of result would just help cement them into that top six where they deserve to be. Uh, they've not lost in the last five, last five, although they have drawn four out of the last five. So they've not lost, they're not not losing games, they're picking up results. So they're you know they're going into the Ibrox game in good spirits, but Rangers obviously have a chance if they win this weekend and Celtic slap up against Dundee United, Rangers could be champions this weekend. So Rangers won't want to throw that opportunity away. Um so they'll obviously it's a big game at Ibrox uh, for the championship uh, and where that goes. Uh, and obviously the biggest game I'd say this weekend is probably uh, up in Dingwall, Ross County against Kilmarnock. Uh, Hamilton are obviously sort of at the bottom of the table, obviously, and threw away their chance to get off the bottom with a late equaliser by St. Johnson on, on Wednesday night. But they obviously haven't lost. They've only lost one of the last five. So they're in a bit of good run um, at the moment. Kilmarnock are in awful form. They've not won in the last five. I just They don't score goals very easily. They concede for fun. Um, I just don't see them picking up anything against Ross County because Ross County have started to perform a little bit better under Yogi Hughes. I've said this for the last few weeks. Ross County have improved. They're at home. They're playing Kilmarnock. I think this this is a massive game for, for both of these sides in the relegation battle because um, Hamilton obviously go up to Aberdeen um, at the weekend. Aberdeen are not in good form themselves. They've only won one of the last five. Hamilton could take something up there at Pataudry. So whoever loses maybe this Ross County Kilmarnock game are in deep, deep trouble. Um, and I can see Ross County coming away with a win in this one. And Kilmarnock, well, we could have an Ayrshire Derby next season at this rate because they are not looking in good shakes at all. And and would you say that the, the game Ross County and Kilmarnock, we always say it at the, well, any time in the season, but more so now, would you say that's more of a six-pointer, that game? Oh, definitely. That I mean, this is one of... The, I mean, this is one of these games that whoever wins it will just, 
give themselves a little bit of a cushion. I mean, I think Motherwell have probably pushed themselves too far out of the relegation zone at this point. So it's definitely the playoff and the bottom place is out of three teams. Ross County are just out of it by one point at the moment. If Hamilton lose at the weekend and Kilmarnock obviously lose up at Ross County, Ross County will be four points ahead of both of those teams coming into March with a game in hand. That is a big cushion. And therefore, I think Hamilton know they have to probably get something up at Pataudry. Kilmarnock know they can't lose against Ross County this weekend. But if Ross County won, like I said, it's a four-point cushion. That might be too big for a team like Kilmarnock to be able to manage. Even Hamilton, it might be too much for them over the course of the year. So it's a massive, massive game up in Dingwall. It's huge. Speak about the game at McDermott Park. Johnson will be on a bit of a high after winning the, the League Cup last week. Um, well done to uh, Callum Davison and the team there. But um, Hibs as well, Matthew. Well, St. Johnson, I, I mean, St. Johnson, I watched them in the, the Betfred Cup final and fair play to them because I thought... Uh, I thought they were by miles the better team. I don't think Livingston were at their best by any means, but I thought, you know, they deserved to make history uh, by, you know, winning. I think it's only what it's only their second ever trophy, I think. Um, but it's definitely, it definitely made them, strangely enough, would you believe, the last decade, it made them the second most successful team in Scottish football and over the last decade in <laughs> regards to major honours. Um so it's it was one of those ones they deserved to win. I don't think Livingston showed up. I think it was very heartbreaking for them. They struggled to break down St. Johnson. I think barely... it was a very I think it was a very poor performance by Livingston last week. Yeah, they never got going at all. Um and I was quite surprised at that Livingston team. But St. Johnson were just very good. You know, David Wallerspoon was at his best. Um I just, I just, I just thought St. Johnson were the better team. Sean Rooney played well. Obviously, he's, uh, he's, he's became a household name. I think over the last few days, um, he's been on Clyde One. He's been on lots and lots of, of different radio shows. Um, I think did, did I hear someone say he's the Bell's Hill Cafe? Just, just, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just, uh, yeah, just keeping that Lanarkshire theme going. <laughs> uh, I think yeah, I heard someone say he was called the Bell's Hill Cafe. Um, I just thought St. Johnson were the better team. They very much deserved to beat Livingston. And um, yeah, they, they took that form into the Hamilton game during the week. They were close to getting beat Hamilton with a run seconds of defeating them. But, you know, they came back, they got the draw. Um, they kept them kind of in the race for, for top six. They're there or thereabouts. I don't think they'll make it, but they kept them in that hunt for top six. But obviously the trophy was the big thing this week. Um now you're talking about Hibs. Um, I mean, Hibs are coming in to this game in really good form as well. I know they lost uh, last week a bit surprisingly. They lost last week, but up to then they were winning games for fun. Um, St. Johnson, yeah. I mean, against Hamilton, they were they looked a bit tired um, after their cup final exploits. Will they still be tired after this one? I, I'm not entirely sure. We'll see what we get. But, I mean, on paper, I think Hibs, again, are too strong for St. Johnson and Hibs should win. But, you know, as last week shown uh, at Easter Road, you just never know with Scottish football outside of the top two. Um, from third downwards, you do get shock results. And St. Johnson, if they if they have any dreams of catching St. Mirren in that top six place, 
they will need to beat Hibs on Saturday, um, but I just can't see it. And also, uh, Rangers, um, Rangers could maybe cement their, their winning title. Um, if Celtic drops points up at Dundee and Sunday, but yeah, uh, Rangers is at home tomorrow to St Mullen. Of course, they won one 0 during the week um, with a late goal. You would say in that game, I think it was eighty-seven minutes. Yeah, I mean it was an interesting game. Uh, I mean, we're not to be honest on on Wednesday night. We didn't really learn anything new. Um, about mm-hmm. this Rangers side, you know they were they were relentless. Uh, they looked good. They could have they could have really put the game out of sight beforehand. I thought Morelos. It was I thought it was a penalty uh, when Morelos went down. I don't think it was a dive. I think Gerard was right. I think it was definitely a penalty, and they could have went in already one 0 up. Um, but you know this is the sort of game last year that Rangers would have struggled to win. They, they had obviously the the yellow card for diving. You had that adverse adverse effect that Gerard getting sent off as well. That's the sort of game that last year they would have capitulated and maybe self self destructed. But this year, you know, they kept on going. They've taken eighty five points from ninety three. Uh, available this year, which is absolutely staggering. And I know we've criticised Celtic this year, but even if Celtic were on top form, if you look at Rangers having 85 points out of 93, that's very, very hard to keep up with, If even if you're playing at the top of your game. Um, if you take into account also that Rangers have had 23 clean sheets and only nine goals conceded from 31 games so far, you're watching the best team in the league. You're definitely watching the best team in the league. Rangers look better. Livingston tried to outfight them, tried to outmuscle them a wee bit. They they are fifth in the league, so they had a little bit to hold on to. But you know, Rangers, like I said, they should have had a penalty. They could have had arguably a second penalty in that game. Um, and it looked like Livingston were going to hold on. But the best player in the park, I thought, on the on the night was Morelos, and he popped up to score again, and really looked like really look like this weekend Rangers could win the league and again I say this every week so far having taken all those stats into consideration how do you think St Mirren are going to go on Ibrooks? I can see nothing other than Rangers winning and what about the uh, a quick word about the game on Sunday Matthew I put my damn uh, I put my damn partner I put Tyler Dice I'm having some weak graphics um, Dungy and I kick against Celtic at um, uh, 12 o'clock kickoff for that one. High noon for... High noon. Yeah, possibly Rangers title party. Um, I mean, this game, we saw, I mean, earlier on in the season, Celtic travelled to, to Tanadice and it was a very hard-fought game. Uh, Celtic were probably, did have most of the possession and most of the chances, but it took took a very late win winner from Ayeti, uh, who came on as a substitute, to give Celtic a 1-0 win up at Tannadice. And I think you're looking at a similar sort of game this weekend. Celtic have shown over, well, we can only go on maybe recent performances, but also uh, Kennedy's own, John Kennedy's only been in charge really for one game. And what we saw last weekend against Aberdeen is you have a lot of the ball, a lot of possession, but maybe not create as much as you should. Uh, not Maybe not score as many as you can. So therefore, it looks like the game at Tannadice could be tight. Very tight. Normally, mm-hmm. I would say Celtic will win this game because obviously, until the Ross County slip up, Celtic had won five, uh, four of the last five uh, games. And strangely enough, even though that they were never going to catch Rangers, I thought it was the best run of form Celtic have had in the league since maybe August. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, they were doing okay until the debacle up in in Dingwall that led to Lennon going. So you know, I don't, I don't, I, I would normally say Celtic will win this game, but because of the way Celtic have been over the course of the season, and because you just don't know which Celtic team will turn up, it's one of those games that would you really be surprised if Dungeon United came away with something? I, I wouldn't. <laughs> um, so. There's a very there's a chance. I wouldn't say there's a high chance. Maybe that's pushing it, but there's a realistic chance this weekend that Rangers will beat Saint Mirren and Celtic will slip up at Tannadice. Rangers could win the league this weekend. I don't think it's completely out of the out of the ordinary if they did that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's got the makings of an interesting game. I think Kennedy will want to for Kennedy to have this job. I mean, I don't think John Kennedy will get it, but for any to, for him to have any chance in a say of keeping this job, he has to win probably every single game that Celtic play between now and the end of the season. Mm-hmm. Um, so the pressure's on, really, him to to try and get Celtic wins and to try and prevent Rangers winning the league um, as early as they can. So it's very, very t- um, tough going for him. T- there mm-hmm. is a bit of pressure on the Celtic squad. I can see Celtic winning, but I wouldn't be surprised if there was a slip-up here. <laughs> Okay, before we go this week, have a, um, there's no Six Nations this weekend, and of course, Scotland are playing catch up because uh, the game was off last week against France. Um, but there's Pro 14 this weekend, and Glasgow and Edinburgh are playing. Yeah, I mean, there, there are, like you said, there's some, there's still some games uh, left to be played in the Pro 14, although I think. Now it's kind of looking like it's cemented. I don't, I don't think the Scottish teams now, because of the results last weekend, will be able to do anything. Uh, Glasgow are playing against the Italian club, club Zebra uh, in Parma on Saturday at one o'clock. So that'll be an interesting game to watch uh, for Glasgow fans. On Sunday, the next day at 3.15, so just after the Celtic game, actually, so Edinburgh play Benetton. So if you want to watch some sport, you can go straight from the Celtic game straight into Edinburgh at Murrayfield uh, to see their game against Benetton. Now, like I said, it's been one of those seasons for the Scottish teams and last weekend, I think the Scottish teams needed to pick up something. Glasgow got absolutely hammered by Leinster uh, and Edinburgh lost as well, which means in reality, I don't think any of the, the Scottish teams will get into the Champions Cup places, which is the top three. It very... It, it doesn't look like they're going to be able to do that. It doesn't look like they're going to be able to even get into the top four, possibly. So I think this year's kind of now looking like it's maybe a, a build-up to next year. And there's also a, a tournament in April after this, the Pro 14 concludes. The Rainbow Cup starts in April, which is the Pro 14 clubs and some South African teams playing to, to win a trophy. So maybe now for Edinburgh and Glasgow, it's maybe now a chance to just say, well, okay, the Pro 14 has been a disaster this year for lots of reasons, COVID being one of them. Maybe now we just look on to the Rainbow Cup in April and we look on to next year and see where we can get to in regards to that. Because, yeah, I think the season now, sadly, for the the Scottish two uh, is starting to tail off a little bit. And uh, just before we go as well, Matthew, um, do you remember um, we, we were talking about a few weeks ago, maybe a few months ago on the show now, I can't remember, one of the, uh, one of the, uh, I, I can't remember what sport it was, actually. he was actually coming out of retirement 
and and all that, and you've heard of stories about people changing sports and all that. Well, this week, um, my favourite player of the 90s, um, I'm showing my age now a wee bit, um, Stephen Henley uh, came back to, to play snooker. Of course, he was a, a TV pundit for many, many years, um, but he made his debut, Matthew, in Gibraltar, and believe it or not, he got beaten the first round 4-1. I thought you were going to say he's changing sports. He's going to be, say, the new Celtic manager or something. Yeah, netball. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, fair play to him for coming back. I mean, there was one piece that before I say anything about Henry, there was one piece of news about uh, the Scott. One last thing about Scotland rugby. You mentioned about the Six Nations, and it just got me thinking quickly. It looks like uh, the France. France Scotland game that was postponed last weekend because of COVID. It's now looking like that game is now on Friday the twenty sixth of March. Um, so they've managed to rearrange it. I think the Premiership rugby in England and the French rugby are going to agree to allow Scotland to have their international players outside of the international window. So people like Stuart Hogg and Johnny Gray at Exeter, Chris Harris and Sean Maitland at Gloucester, um, and even some players in France. Uh, like Finn Russell, for example, will be allowed to play. So that game now looks like it will be played on Friday the 26th of March instead of, obviously, uh, it was due to be played last weekend, but there was obviously issues uh, in regards to COVID. Uh, there was also something in regards to Adam Hastings. Uh, he was sent off last weekend for Glasgow against Leinster. He was sent off for a reckless and dangerous challenge on Kelleher. Uh, during their defeat to Leinster. So now he sadly will also miss Scotland's Six Nation game against Italy and he'll also miss two Glasgow Warriors fixtures as well. So he's going to be out too, which is a bit of a blow because I actually thought he might actually come onto the Scotland scene and and possibly do something, but um, it doesn't look like that's going to happen now. Um, but yeah, what were you saying? Stephen Henry, I think it's good for him yeah. to come back. So, uh, back. <laughs> yeah, 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 no, I mean, fair play to him. I mean, he's been out for a long time. He, like you say, he's been doing punditry um, and I know he lost, but I, I think it's good to have people back, uh, back in the sport who ultimately were successful before um, and it'll be interesting to have him back it's a bit like um, it's a bit like Murray in the tennis it's good to have mm. him back yeah. and hopefully in time he'll be able to get back to possibly where he was before in the sport yeah so so that's that and then speaking about Andy Murray this week he got beat again um, in the I think it was a German Mascus tournament I'm not sure but he got beat in, in the, the first round but hopefully he'll come back one day and uh, back his best and be world number one uh, as well. Yeah, I mean, it's a shame for him. I mean, I think I get confused in all the tournaments he's in now because he obviously changes quite a lot and he, he pulls out of others. Um, but he obviously lost this week. I think it was a Russian who knocked him out in the in the first or second round, wasn't it? I think Murray's now ranked 123rd in the world. So yeah, he's got... It's a- it's a, bit, it's a bit weird to think that he was world number one a couple of years ago and now he's up in the, the hundreds, you know. Yeah, he's got a he's got a long way to come back, and obviously he had he had some very very tough injuries that you know he's obviously struggled with. Um, 
But, you know, now he's back. It's the first step he's back. He's competing. I know he's losing, but hopefully in time, the injuries can clear up a little bit for him and he can start climbing that world ranking table and start to maybe not get to where he was before because he was up with the big guns before in the top in the top three or four players in the world. I don't think he'll get to that again. But even if he can get up to competing uh, for tennis tournaments at that level again, I think he'd be happy. And uh, fingers crossed for him in yeah. the future. Okay, cool. Um, well, that was a busy show as always. Um, we'll be back next Friday at 6 here on Indie Live Radio. And don't forget, you can listen to the podcast again. Uh, go take along to our podcast channels on Indie Live Radio website. And uh, we'll see you next week here on Indie Live Radio. Have a good week. See you soon.